That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, Jake, we're here for Same Old Song, episode 67, fifth Sunday after Epiphany, and we're going to talk about thongs in the Isaiah reading. <laughs> Woo. Yes, uh, so this is really exciting. Uh, we are uh, making our way through the season of Epiphany, and uh, never forget that Epiphany is about uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ as your Savior to the world. Now, um, if you jump into our text uh, today, especially Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 9, and if you'd like to keep going, 9 through 12, uh, you could be under the understanding that you're the savior of the world, but there's a lot going on here. What do you have to say about it, Aaron? Well, before we do that, um, uh, I've got just a lot on my plate this week, and so I'm, I'm a little panicked. But anyway, I'm trying to hold it together. I'm glad you're okay. Uh, thank God for the gospel. Uh, and anyway, so, but how are you doing? Well, I was watching Marvelous <laughs> Mrs. Maisel, uh, the new yeah. season on Amazon the other night. And I loved it. She was uh, Rachel did that just come? Did that just come to Waco? Oh, no, just... We just got cable, actually. <laughs> and uh, I've got my AOL email account, my dial-up modem. I'm blazing the internet. If I break up a little bit, that's why. Thanks, yeah, Jake. Right. Your New York arrogance will get you nowhere. The Lord sees mm. and knows your heart. Um so, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the comedian played by Rachel Brosnahan, is doing a show in um, in Las Vegas, and she's talking about how she says, you know, she's explaining to this audience of mostly Gentiles, you know, what it, what, you know, what, it, were they a prim, a primer on the Jewish people, and she says, you know, we're really good at complaining. Uh, we complain about lots of things, not like big things that you can actually do something about, little things that you can't fix. She says we do complaining like wasps do like repression of emotions. So (laughs) I just want you as a Judeo-Christian person in that tradition to both stop complaining about your full plate and suppress any anxiety you might feel. I when I ask you how you're doing, I only want to hear that you're fine. Okay. Everything's fine. Good. Everything's fine. Same here. Also fine. Doing great. It's never been better. It's never been better. <laughs> if it were so, any better, um, I couldn't stand it. I always, you know, when people say, "How's it I'm, going?" Can't complain. I'm like, ah, actually, you could. Uh, or when the 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 new the new aloha in our society is busy. You know, yeah. how are you? Busy. Busy. So aloha. busy. Yeah. It means a lot of things. Busy means you know I'm doing great. Busy means I'm actually busy. Busy means I'm doing nothing. And. Um, for you once, know. I'd like to hear somebody say, I am so lazy. I'm procrastinating. <laughs> I've been doing it for years. I ain't doing jack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, but you and I are doing stuff. We're getting yeah, it done. Yeah, and uh, Isaiah, it seems like, wants us to do stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? You read yeah. this passage, and he's like, shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. But uh, you keep moving forward, and uh, you know, and you basically see him calling folks out. He's like, you know, 
Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Like the people are grumbling and like, look, we've been doing all of this stuff for you, God. And, uh, you know, you're not doing any stuff for us. We're scratching your back, but you're not scratching ours. Yeah. And so yeah. in the first, first, first paragraph, you really see the dilemma of what happens with religion. You know, when you actually think that you're doing something for God, then you're placing God in your debt. And uh, when you place God in your debt, um, well, resentment is uh, naturally happens when things don't go your way. Yeah, these people are, what's interesting is that he, Isaiah begins by saying, announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob their sin. So you think he's going to, you know, tell people some things that we normally think of as sins, like, you know, maybe they are not getting enough soluble fiber in their diets, you know. Maybe they're not getting up at 5.30 to meditate and they then get on the Peloton like Jake. Maybe they are not uh, contributing to Amnesty International. You know, all these things, uh, you know, maybe they're getting bottle service at the club. They're, they're, just, they're, they're just sinning in ways that we would normally think of people being self-absorbed, uh, sinful people. Uh, but then he lists all the things, he lists their what they're doing. And it actually, he's like, I'm going to tell you your sins. Now, are you ready for this? You're going to church too much. You're basically good people. You're going to Bible study all the time. Like he starts listing all these righteous things that they're doing. And, and he says like that they're fasting. Uh, mm -hmm. They they're they like repent very publicly of what they're doing. They're practicing yeah. righteousness. Uh, and But you see that the heart with which they do it is, God, we're doing all this stuff. Why are you not giving us our golden... Mm -hmm tokens of and our merit badges like uh don't you see that we're fasting and so he goes on to point out that because god always knows what's in the heart if you're doing a good thing but you're doing it because of pride and self-righteousness uh and uh to be seen by others he knows and so he says look you're doing the easy things that get you mm -hmm. social approval but you're not actually doing the hard things that i care about which is to loose the bonds of injustice, undo the thongs of the yoke. That's where I was making my very mm -hmm. puerile, juvenile joke at the beginning. That's where that comes from. Mm. <laughs> Listeners, thank you, Jake, for that forced laughter. So anyway. Yeah, so um, the, what, what God is saying through Isaiah to people is you think the law is something small that you can keep. Let me show you what it actually is. It's much bigger and higher and harder than you thought. And so there's a couple of things going on here. One, I think it's to bring people to an end, to an end yeah. of depending on themselves and their own small righteous deeds, uh, yeah. their easy religiosity, uh, and say there's actually a, a, a if you want to love God, you got to love people, uh, not just be mm. a pious individual, yeah. and I, uh, and it's a lot harder than you think. So it's kind of yeah. calling people to account a little bit and kind of uh, exposing their own self righteousness. And I love, I mean, I, I know for myself, I mean, you know, it, you know, if I'm doing something and, uh, and, uh, it is about me, it's not a fruit, but it's a work. I get really irritated when other people aren't pulling their weight. You know what I mean? Heck yes. And, uh, everybody does. I remember, you know, why aren't they fasting? You know what I mean? Oh, why am I the only one who's ever doing anything around here? It immediately comes up and, um, uh, and and he says this thing, and so it's like, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice? What he's doing, what God is doing here is he is not like, hey guys, straighten out. 
Like that's how you'd often want to approach it. And like, this is my chance to like really nail you for not showing up at the soup kitchen. And if that's the way you're going to preach, then then you're preaching actually the first paragraph, the way what God has already condemned. Right. Do more righteous stuff and be that's proud of yourself what, for doing that, it. This is, is not this, to loose the bonds of justice, to undo the thongs of yoke, to let the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? This is the description of a person who lives by faith. Mm-hmm. This is the fruit that comes out of the fact of a person who believes God and it is credited to him as righteous. You know, and so you see all of these things. What, 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 Isaiah is not saying is get your act together, everybody. The overarching message of the prophet Isaiah is is that you are you stand condemned, Israel, and uh, here is the one who will stand in your stead, and not only your stead, but the whole world's stead. And when you read the prophets, you see this message get condensed more and more all the way to the book of Habakkuk, where he says, "The just shall live by faith." And so this is what it is to live by faith. This is what it is to live a justified life because it's not you've been justified by God, not by uh, all of the fasting and the cool things you're doing and how high and elevated you are, but man, that you've actually been humbled because you can't do this. And so you need one, God himself, by his spirit to work through you to be a vessel of peace to your neighbor. Yeah, I mean, I think the the way to not preach this passage is just to make it a way to yell at your congregation about <laughs> doing more stuff for the poor and just caring more yeah. about social justice. Because, you know what, Isaiah preached this text and the people that heard him do it did not suddenly turn into um, Florence Nightingale and uh, yeah. and social yeah. justice uh, activists. So I and think, man, yeah, go ahead. And he nails it, he nails it in 9b through 12. I mean, so if you remove the yoke from among you, aka your own righteousness, he literally says the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, dang it, why aren't they doing this? If you yep. offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the, you're living by faith, not in yourself, but in the God who justifies, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like a noonday. Yep. And the Lord, uh, because you're living uh, by the power of the Spirit, he becomes the one who guides you continually and satisfies your needs because he is your satisfaction. He is the water in the springs of the desert. You know, he is the one who strengthens your bones and he is the one who repairs the breach and rebuilds the ruins by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. So drive this passage home to the cross and to Jesus, because that's what he calls us to do. Yep. And uh, let's uh, let's keep on driving this gospel train and take it all the way a few thousand choo, years choo. Uh, after this text uh, into uh, the um, the letter of Paul to, to the, the Corinthians. Corinthians. Um, and... Uh, Actually, it wasn't a few thousand years. It was a few centuries. Anyways, let me get my biblical timeline right. So now we're in the first century AD, uh, common era, for those of you who like to be a little bit more politically correct. Uh, The first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. We already have begun this. Um, We're skipping over some of the other things that Paul will accuse the Corinthians of, but he's still... um, you know, last week, and you know, he's dealing with the fact that they're fighting amongst themselves. There's sexual morality uh, in previous passages, but now he's in this part where he's defending his ministry, um, mm-hmm. and he wants to uh, tell them why is it okay that he's not a big fancy uh, um, 
prosperity gospel preachers and sneakers, Gucci outfit wearing uh, preacher. Because this was a time when status mattered and appearance mattered. And if you wanted to be a yeah. successful preacher, you had to have all the accoutrement that went with it. And there are there are there are preachers of this sort who have come to the Corinthian church and have been like, you know, Paul doesn't really know what he's talking about. Um, they were, uh, you know, kind of the they were like essentially super apostles. They thought that they had the secret knowledge, and they were they were preachers and sneakers. They were Gucci'd out, and they had it all. They were they were you know, and they had a secret and special message just for you, special wisdom. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus died for you, but let me tell you the real secret of life. Yeah, and and, and these um, guys would also often charge or expect a collection yeah. to be taken for them, and that made people mm-hmm. think, oh, they must be really good because they're they they were something. And Paul mm-hmm. did his work. For free. And here comes Paul. He's all stout, and uh, people were probably looked at Paul and were like, "Are you kidding? Like that guy?" And I like to imagine him like an, some truth. like an older Jack Black, but like more <laughs> scarred because of all the beatings he got. Just picture that, um, people. Anyways. I like to imagine. I like to imagine him as a um, as a slightly huskier Danny DeVito, like Danny DeVito from Taxi. Yeah, not impressive. Not impressive at all. Uh, so, he, yeah, so Paul has to always defend his ministry. Uh, and he says, the reason I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling and not with like a really fancy TED talk that just had you hanging on every word um, <laughs> is so that your faith would not rest on how impressive I am, but on the power of God. And his message is the cross, um, mm. that this is this is the point. Um, and uh, this just goes against the world. This goes against the wisdom in Paul's day that you had to be some impressive, uh, eloquent, uh, with good hair kind of speaker. And uh, he's just, this, this whole thing he goes on and on about is the difference between the message of the cross, the message of the gospel versus um, the world's message. Uh, and Paul, speaking in the context of the Roman Empire, I mean, again, uh, this was a culture that valued status, it valued power, it valued um, eloquence and just kind of being a showy person. And uh, that's not what Paul was. So he has to, which, you know, neither was Christ, but um, Paul and, has and to defend even, himself all the time. He says that. He says that. He says, you know, um, none of the rulers of this age ever understood this. Mm-hmm. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, so, you know, they were like, are you kidding? Jesus in flesh? Like, nope, nail him to the cross. Um, but as it is written, and quoting this passage from Isaiah, as uh, we were discussing slightly earlier, taken out of context, but he's the apostle and he can. Uh, he says, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. And uh, what what that is, is um, resurrection life. That's the thing. And these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. See, the world will say, um, your best life now. Mm-hmm. The world will say, um, your purpose now. Uh, the the um, the uh, world will say uh, Gucci sneakers now, and what Paul is saying is that the Spirit has revealed resurrection and not better life here, but new life in the age that is to come. And this can't even be received in this age, like on your own. You're not going to figure this out on your own. You're going to look at the cross and like like a lot of our colleagues and say that is ridiculous. Mm. But man, to those whom the Spirit has spoken to, it opens your eyes and your and your ears and you're like, damn, that's it. Yep. And so, I mean, 
what this opens up, there's this big contrast. If you want to preach this, because this is, there's a lot of this that's still true. The contrast between the wisdom of this age versus God's wisdom. And the wisdom of this age says that power is the most important thing. Success should be your goal. Uh, weak things should be rejected and despised. You know, um, uh, there's going to be so much posturing the weekend before you preach this text, and it because you will have just passed Super Bowl Sunday, and mm. it'll show everything that um, uh, our culture loves: power, violence, domination, competition, crushing uh, other people, uh, and um, and that that's the wisdom of the world, and that's what a lot of people are told to do in life, and you know, to win at life. And we have in Christianity at the center of it, we have a crucified savior. And this is why Paul says, look, this is ridiculous. And it would have been so scandalous and so vulgar to any Roman person or Jewish person. Uh, And yet Paul says, this is God's wisdom, secret and hidden, um, which now we've seen and that the spirit has to reveal it to you. And so what this means for you in your life, a preacher and anybody who is in your congregation what this means is that God can and does work through failures, sins, reversals, catastrophes, all those places, um, and that's the power of God. Um, it, the, there, I was just talking to somebody recently who was saying about uh, how they meet all these folks um, around here uh, who we live in a very kind of a buckle of the Bible belt, and their idea of faith is like, I have faith, and so God will reward me. I have faith, so God will give me victory. I have faith, so I will receive so many blessings in life, financial blessings, family blessings, health blessings, all this sort of stuff, and I just know God will provide me. And I would just have to say to you, like, that is not the kind of wisdom that God has that we see in this kind of text. The wisdom mm-hmm. of God is that through your failures, through your sufferings, through your defeats, through your um, child's uh, rejection of you, through the failure of your career, through the plummeting value of your uh, <laughs> your property, through all these things, uh, the struggles in your marriage, all these things are actually the places where God works in your life. That's the foolishness of the cross. That's the ministry of Christ. And um, and the spirit has to reveal that to you. But it is such a gift to people uh, in your congregation who fear that because they don't have enough faith or because they're not getting it done, God's mad at them. And that mm. is the opposite of the truth. And actually that definition of faith that you just defined as the definition in the Bible belt buckle, you know, I have faith so God rewards me. That's the very thing that the prophet I- that God is condemning through the prophet Isaiah in the earlier reading. Mm-hmm. That is exactly that is the very thing yeah. that, that God is condemning. It is there's there's it's it's not a balance. A lot of people want to talk to me about balance. A lot of people talk to me like, yeah, but no, that that is the very thing God is condemning. Like that it's there's there's no balance. Yep. It's just straight up. That's the truth. Um yeah. So uh, then you come and you see it played out right here in Matthew chapter, our gospel reading, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Uh, this is the uh, uh, second half of the chapter. Uh, right before this, um, Jesus is uh, just preached the Beatitudes, and now he's speaking to uh, these Galileans, um, and he is uh, speaking to them about being salt and uh, about um, being light, and uh, this is uh, very powerful. Um, and actually, um, recently I did a uh, an interfaith Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount, um, which um, was uh, very interesting and got very intense a couple of times. 
um, because uh, this is Jesus being very, very polemical um, and, uh, and asking a very, very powerful question. He gives them the descriptor, you are the salt of the earth. Uh, but if salt has lost its taste, a.k.a. Um, look at all of this stuff that I'm doing, what about those people over there? How can its saltiness be restored? You know, mm. um, if, if, you're, if you leave faith and go back to yourself, uh, you're good for nothing, mm. actually, when it comes to God. Um, you're the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel or a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all the house. No one uh, puts that under, you know, you are the light of the world. Don't hide that because that's Christ working through you uh, by appointing to yourself and all the great things you're doing, um, you know. And so letting your light shine before Jesus is not more of your good works. It is actually, as you just talked about earlier in the previous passage, um, Aaron, Yeah, it's the reversal. It's not relying on yourself at all. Yeah, it is uh, getting completely out of the way. Yeah, and I think uh, you know these um, these passages or this you know you're the light of the world. People often think, well, then I have to be perfect, and that's actually mm. again it's yeah true. And it says true. you know people will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, <laughs> and they, again they think, well, that means I need to show everybody how religious I am and get bumper stickers and t-shirts to show how religious I am. And I need to put the Bible prominently displayed in my living room. And I need to put a Christian verse on my wall with an eagle flying behind it. And then people will see these things. And that's not what this is saying. Your good works, the good works that please God are trusting in him and not yourself. So that's right. um, your good works is saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Your good so, work is saying, I trust in Christ's righteousness, not mine. And so, and and this brings up that you know, people say, why are these verses next to, um, you know, this thing about not come to abolish the law and the prophets? The thing about Jesus' ministry throughout, the reason he was saying this is because people did think he was coming to abolish the law and the prophets. And the reason they mm. thought he was coming to abolish the law and the prophets is that he was hanging out with sinners and his disciples weren't washing their hands in the right way. And he was uh, eating with tax collectors and um, he was healing people who were sinners instead of uh, like rebuking them and judging them. Uh, and so he, what he's saying is the reason I am doing these things is to fulfill the law. Um, and so he's not come to put more law on us uh, he's come to fulfill the law for us. Right. He says, if you want to follow the law, you can. But let me just tell you that it requires total perfection. Mm. And it's not just, uh, I mean, you, you have to be, and as he'll end this, not in this passage, but he'll end this speech that you need to be perfect as uh, yeah. your heavenly father is perfect. Yeah. And here he sa- what he says is, unless your righteousness ex- exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. So think of the most yeah. religious person you know, you have to be even more religious than them. Yeah, and and what he is saying here is is ultimately not like, I mean, I do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, so try harder. Right. He says, I've, I've, I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Right. So uh, everything you've been trying to do and completely suck at, and it's causing all of this resentment and anger and frustration in your life, um, I'm going to fulfill it. And I'm going to take that yoke off. I'm going to break that yoke yep. that is uh, crushing you and your neighbor. And, uh, you know, and and he goes on. To say, so for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. 
And uh, it has been accomplished and it's been fulfilled. So you, dear Christian, don't live under that condemnation anymore. Uh, that's what St. Paul means when he speaks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. This is a peace of conscience because Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf. He has become your clear conscience. Mm. And I love that, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This isn't like, once again, try a little harder, everybody. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, uh, you know, try extra hard. Uh, this is like uh, to put you on your knees. And I love um, St. Paul, who was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, he reminds us that uh, actually what he needed was a righteousness apart from himself. And uh, that's what you need too. And that's what Christ is offering. And that's what you as a preacher need to give your congregation. Uh, Christ, the fulfiller of the law, who becomes everyone's righteousness. And so give it to them and uh, give it to them fully. Yep. Uh, not just part. Give them the whole enchilada, as they'd say in Texas. Yep, uh, they would say that, and the whole the whole uh, brisket on top of macaroni and cheese, the whole thing. Yeah, um, I think give it to them. The um, you know this passage. This is why it's so important to properly distinguish the law from the gospel. It sounds like law. It sounds like unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven, which causes us to say, oh my gosh, I've got no hope because my righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the holiest people around. But what Jesus has just said before that is, I am fulfilling the law. So your righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees because you are given Christ's righteousness, his fulfillment of the law. And this is the message of Christianity, not do more, but rest in what Christ has done for you. So if you preach this passage, make sure your people end up with that understanding because otherwise the result is despair. There's just no hope. Your righteousness can't surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We are all so um, prone to that self-righteousness when we do good things. And the, the best Christians you know are also terrible sinners. So this is not God giving us some sort of goal that we can actually attain. It's He's trying to point that's us right. to something that's going to be given to us as a gift. That's fully Fully, absolutely. You know, uh, Stephen Ting, the great rector of St. George's Church, he was speaking up in um, in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, whatever the Episcopal Seminary was there before EDS, that the merger that became, and he was preaching to these students, and um, and he was like, you know, the to be a true like curate, to be a true carer of souls, mm -hmm. is to be able to distinguish these two words. And uh, essentially and quoting, gospel. yeah, uh, and essentially quoting Luther in order to kind of afflict the comforted and uh, to comfort the afflicted, and uh, and he said that's that's the height of the preaching ministry, hmm. um, is to be able to distinguish these words and uh, rightly, and so um, that's a part of our tradition as well. And I tell you, man, if you can do that, you really care for the souls of your people. And that minister, the Reverend Stephen Ting former rector of the church where, Jacob, you serve. His great, 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 great granddaughter, Mary Ting, would marry a man named Charles Higgins, who would then be the founding rector of St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas. And that, yeah. my friends, is the rest of the story. That's full circle, everyone, and that's a great place to end. So God bless you and happy preaching, everyone. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wants.
Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.